0: Like The message today is about Jesus uh, walking on water. Essentially, is Jesus trustworthy? Now, I met a man uh, this week who was very trustworthy, but I had a lot of evidence to find out that he was trustworthy. So I have been deaf in my right ear. I've lost my hearing since the age of 14, so 29 years, not much hearing. They did some tests, 0% in my right ear. So there's there's hearing, and then there's understanding. It was zero on both. So I qualified uh, for a cochlear implant. To get this done, I had to go to a doctor who referred me. They did some hearing tests. They said, yes, you qualify for one. They sent me to two different surgeons. I went to one of the surgeons. He did some more tests, said, we're going to double-check something because when sound is amplified in your left ear with a hearing aid, you can still hear a bit. We're not sure if you qualify for one. But anyway, I had more tests and more tests and more tests. I said, yep, you definitely, your insurance covers it. You're qualified for one. And the whole time I was going through this in Northwestern Hospital, uh, formerly CDH, the level of care was outstanding. And whoever I met, they, as soon as they found out who my surgeon was, they kept saying, he is a great surgeon. So I came back from England last Wednesday night, started having lots of pre-op appointments, meningitis jabs, I don't know why. Blood tests, a whole host of different things being done. Uh, Tuesday morning, my uh, operation was scheduled for Thursday. Tuesday morning, I thought, I'm just going to check his ratings online. Now, what I found out is do not check medical professionals' ratings online. I have a phenomenal therapist in Wheaton. And I remember once reading the ratings thinking, what in the world is that? And naturally, people with mental health issues don't always write the fairest or best reviews. There was one star rating for my surgeon. And I say, oh, no, 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 no. I looked down and read, and it was an elderly couple. And the person was complaining, since having the cochlear implant, they now hear a really loud ringing in their ears. I thought, fabulous, it works. I will take ringing in my ears any day of the week. Uh, Then I met him on... Thursday for the operation very friendly super kind uh, I vaguely remember waking up afterwards saying hello to him after I'd had the surgery he phoned my wife said it went well a phone call from the hospital the following day the whole thing was wonderful i thought wouldn't it be great if when we're going through one of my struggles jesus could just kind of do that for us here i just put this little mask on just going to let you go to sleep and when all of those hardships are over, I'm going to wake you up. And they're going to have people just care for you. It was like a five-star hotel. The only thing that ruined it was right at the end. So I was being really nicely pampered. Jamie and Shelly came up. It around 5 p.m. to pick me up. Uh, they said, would you like a wheelchair out? I said, yeah, absolutely. Uh, wasn't that dizzy, but it just feels nice to be pushed in a wheelchair from time to time And so they they pushed, brought a wheelchair up, put the feet out, I sat there, I had a bag, I'm feeling kind of royal, I said, Jamie, can you carry the bag, obviously it's going to be too heavy for my lap, and then the lady came through to push me on the wheelchair, a very slight, heavily pregnant woman, and it was so embarrassing. I'm this heavy guy sat there with my, my head trying not to look at people. She got the wrong directions twice as we we're going through, and she was really struggling to turn me around. And I felt like such a jerk. I mean, I didn't get out, but <laughs> it was still bad. And we got all the way downstairs. Shelley was in the, the car outside. She goes, do you want me to wheel you to your car? I said, no, I think I'll be fine here. Quickly picked up my stuff, wished her a, a happy second birth in a, a couple of months' time and got into the car. Now, as we look at Jesus and him being trustworthy, I'm going to look at someone who knows all about putting their trust in Jesus, and it was Peter. Now, Peter wrote the Gospel of Mark, or it was his account of Jesus' life, and he says it to Mark, and Mark writes it down. We're actually going to look at Jesus walking on water from the Gospel account of Matthew, and it is, is Jesus a trustworthy person? Now, yes, Jesus was a historical person. Yes, the Gospels are historically trustworthy as much as any book from antiquity is. I'm not going to be looking at those items today. But does Jesus have a trustworthy character? And even more importantly, does Jesus have a trustworthy character? Is what is his identity? So is Jesus trustworthy? What's his identity? And how do we grow in our trust with him? I'm going to read the text. It's from Matthew 14, verses 22 through to 36, and then I will go through and teach on it. Will you bow your heads as I lead us? Lord Jesus, thank you that we live in a day and age where we can trust people with medical expertise. Lord, you walked on a time with the earth where there wasn't this expertise, but you showed your compassion and care by healing people. God, you are the God who wants to be known. You are the God who reveals yourself. You revealed yourself through Jesus time and time and time again. Thank you for people like Peter who make us feel like our faith is okay. Just such a human response to some divine things happening. Father, I pray for any of us in this room who are currently having a hard time trusting you. Lord, through this account of your miracle of walking on water, I pray that we would be encouraged, Lord. Encouraged to trust you a little bit more. Encouraged to spend more time with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, I've cheated this time in my message. Uh, Look at all those post-it notes. Normally, I can teach, highlight a couple of bits and just go there. My brain at the moment is going completely blank. You know when you walk into a room, think, what have I walked in here for? Public speaking with that kind of forgetfulness is not going to be helpful. So I have a lots of different colors. You may see me stop a little, read a yellow thing or an orange thing, then I'll go back. Uh, verse 22, Matthew 14. So just before this, Jesus has fed the 5,000. He has created something out of nothing, and the disciples have participated with him in that, in sharing out the bread and the fish. Let's move on to 22. It says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. "'It's a ghost,' they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, "'Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid.'" "'Lord, if it is you,' Peter replied, "'tell me to come out to you on the water.' "'Come,' he said. "'Then Peter got down out of the boat, "'walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. "'When he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink, "'cried out, "'Lord, save me!' "'Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. "'You of little faith,' he said. "'Why did you doubt?' When they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. When they'd crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak. And all who touched it were healed." This is a very deliberate setup by Jesus. I'm not sure if you've noticed, it says immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him. Now, he knows all things. He knows that there's a big storm coming. He knows that there can be a furious squall that goes up. Remember, he's actually already calmed the water another time when the disciples thought they were going to drown. And he has set this situation up as an element for teaching, revealing to his closest who he is, and seeing, like, are you getting it as we go along the way? And so it says, after he had dismissed them, he went up to a mountainside by himself to pray. Now, Jesus prays to the Father. He is God the Son, who's identical to God the Father, who is identical to God the Holy Spirit. They are in constant communion. Jesus still, although he is fully God, he's still fully man. And in order to be prepared for what life was going to be giving him, in order to be prepared for the miracle that he was going to do, in order to be prepared for the healings he was going to do in Gennesaret, he went up on a mountain to pray. Now, if Jesus, who is God, can take some quiet time and pray. That's an excellent example for us. Now, as we go into this text, this is how Jesus has been preparing his 12 disciples. Chapters 5 to 7 in Matthew had explained, like, this is what it looks like in the kingdom of God. That's the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 8, he said, this is the cost of following me. It's a wonderful thing to follow the celebrity Jesus. He actually says, no, the the path I call you to is a path of suffering and hardship. In chapter 10, he sends the disciples out with all authority. And they're announcing that God's kingdom is here. They are healing people. They are driving out demons. And then to back up what he'd been teaching, John was beheaded. I don't know if you noticed that in the song we were singing. It's a lovely little line. And you bring me the head of my enemies. I'm thinking when we share that with kids ministry, let's say bread of my enemies. In any case, John has been beheaded. Then he's fed the 5,000. Disciples have participated. And he's been planning this thing for them. But later that night, he was alone. A consider- and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land. They say that lake is four to five miles wide at different sections. It's assumed they were three miles into the width. It's really difficult to go forwards, really difficult to go backwards. Wait for this. Uh, It was buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. It's a little phrase. It's like a Bible story. It sounds innocuous, but it shows you how exhausted and terrified the disciples were. Uh, Shortly before dawn. That means the fourth watch of the night. The Romans would divide the calendar into three-hour sections. Uh, 6 to 9 p.m. is the first watch. 9 p.m. to midnight is the second watch. Midnight to 3 a.m. is the third watch. 3 a.m. to 6 p.m. They have been in a boat in the middle of the lake in a heavy storm, exhausted. Did Jesus tell us to do this? Yeah. Then where is he? Like, I'm not sure what their conversation was, but Matthew chose not to record it. And I'm not surprised, but they are exhausted. Like, where is he? Where is he? He's planned this for us, and he's just disappeared. Doesn't he care? Then this is what, we suddenly see Jesus, and it's in an unexpected way. Shortly before dawn, when Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. When God turns up in an unexpected way, it's typically terrifying. If you read the Old Testament accounts or the accounts of Jesus' birth or his resurrection, when an angel appears, it's like all of the oxygen goes out of the room. It was like, whoa. Wow. So when God turns up, it's typically in a jaw-dropping, unexpected way, and he's just calmly in the midst of a storm. So the Sunday school pictures, you think, oh, he's walking across a lovely little lake. It's nice and flat. No, this is a storm, and he's just walking towards them, and they see it, and they are not expecting it. The Greek word is phantasma, They're not fans of Ghostbusters. It means spirit. They're wondering: is an evil spirit coming towards us? They were terrified. Look what Jesus says to them. He says, take heart. Take courage means take heart. Uh, Wherever your heart is pointing, uh, say you take heart wherever your heart is pointing. So if you're all into your job, all of your focus in life, it's like an arrow going from your heart, is all about your job. If you're all into your family, the arrow coming out of your heart is pointing to your family. If you're all into soccer, like I am, the arrow of my heart is always pointing into an appalling team that no one has ever heard of. (laughs) Jesus is saying, take courage. And he's drawing them to himself. It's like, point your heart to me. Take courage. Why? He says, it's me. It is I. It's the same phrase that God reveals himself at the burning bush with Moses. Moses was not expecting a burning bush. And again, he would have been terrified. This is God working outside of our frame of reference. And again, God's always like, it's okay. It's going to be okay. He's saying, don't be afraid. She's saying, it's me, Yahweh, the great I am, the king of the universe, the uncreated creator. She says, therefore, don't be afraid. I'm going to read you. They've been very familiar with Isaiah 43. God is in their midst when he says it is I, don't be afraid. Here we are, Isaiah 43, verses 10 to 13. Uh, this is about who the Messiah was, this is about who God is. And so as he's saying, it's I, don't be afraid, I am sure, as they recollected that, they would have been reminded of this text, which they would have known so well. It says, you are my witnesses, declared the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. I, even I, am the Lord. And apart from me, there is no Savior. This isn't Charles Manson being loopy, uh, claiming divinity. This is the God, the one and only God, revealing himself to his people. Now we'll continue. Uh, verse 11, I'll go over it again to 13. I, even I, am the Lord, and apart from me there is no Savior. I have revealed and saved and proclaimed. I, not some foreign God among you, you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, that I am God. Yes, and from ancient of days I am He. No one can deliver out of my hands when I act. Who can reverse it. Saying to the disciples, one nine hours if you're ancient of days isn't actually that long. He's saying, take courage. It's me. I am coming to save you. I am in your midst. And we see the following verses, 28 to 32, he saves Peter and calms the storm. The appropriate response when you see God, like we did earlier, is worship. That's going to be our perpetual posture for eternity. And then in 34 and 35, he continues doing miracles in Gethsemane. But let's look a bit more at the text. So Jesus said, take courage aside, don't be afraid. Then Peter replied, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. There are times when God turns up and we want that extra bit of reassurance I nearly drove myself mad two months ago trying to figure out what is our next step for the church. Is it harboring? Is it a Saturday night service? Is it staying here? Just give me that little bit extra, please. We're always asking that just a, just a smidgen, please. And Peter's doing the same here. So if, it's, if it's you, just give me that final bit of clarification, Peter, uh, Jesus says, "Come." Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came towards Jesus. There are two barriers that Peter probably got through that each one of us has to walk through when Jesus says to us, "Come. We're his disciple, He gives us a command we follow him. One is to do with the head, the other one is to do with the heart the head, we typically need to understand something before we see it and believe it. I don't know if God's ever turned up in a really unexpected way for you, particularly if you weren't expecting it, you've not seen it before, you're wondering, is this from God? I remember once being at a prayer meeting in Gloucester in Massachusetts. I'm not going to go into the story at length. I did not believe in evil spirits until after that prayer meeting. I remember someone going down on the ground, writhing around, this strange language coming out. I was absolutely terrified. And then I started giggling. You don't know how you're going to react. And it was just like, how can this be from God? What is this? And I'd never seen something like that before. I couldn't understand it. So these are the frames of reference that stop us following God. So, Peter. Not seeing Jesus walking on water before us. So it's the head thing. Does he understand it? And then there's always the heart element. It's that fear of being let down. For probably, uh, since I became a Christian, 2003, I've had people praying for my hearing. And it got to a point where it's like, I know you love me. And you're showing me that you love me by praying for my hearing but I've kind of stopped believing that it's going to get healed. Keep believing, keep believing. Like, I've been believing for 22 years. But there comes a point where you just don't want to be let down anymore. Maybe I could have been more healed if I'd let go more. Maybe I could have been more healed if I trusted God more. But it stops us taking risks, we feel like God. Where were you when I needed you? Where were you when I had that miscarriage? It's very difficult to have a blasé. Oh, and here's now my faith for the eighth month of my pregnancy. So before we think, oh, of course, you just step out the boat. Come on, be obedient. There are some massive blockages, which is called life and suffering, that block us from simply getting out into the boat. But Peter overcomes the head and the heart. And it's, here we go, it's still a storm. So the boat is rocking. He's probably trying to slip out. Uh, Jesus is there, coming into view, not coming into view. The other disciples are sat back like, let's see how this goes. Peter is there. He steps out. It's amazing. He keeps looking at Jesus and does a couple of steps. And then just like if you're on a ladder at your house trying to paint, the second you look down, oh, Lordy, oh, Lordy, 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 it's not a good feeling in your stomach. And you know that the second his eyes are taken off Jesus, there's stormy waves all around him. It's not being disobedient. It makes sense. If a big one's coming at you to kind of look at it, he just starts sinking. But this isn't Peter being dumb and disobedient. This is a beautiful representation of faith. What happens when he starts sinking? He cries out to the only person that can truly help him. The only person that can truly meet each one of his needs. So when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You are. Of little faith, he said, "Why did you doubt?" It's not a rebuke. Jesus loves Peter. He built the church on Peter after Peter had rejected him. But it's an affectionate encouragement to grow in faith. He saw the wind. His eyes were taken off Jesus. He looked at the circumstance. He looked at his own shortcomings, which is. I am not Aquaman, and then forgot that Jesus was trustworthy. There are different situations in our life where we will look at our shortcomings or we will look at the circumstance and assume that Jesus is not trustworthy, but we are seeing it from a man-centric perspective. We're seeing it from a human perspective and not how God sees it. And our perspective does not change the identity of Jesus being God. Now, one of the reasons he's saying to Peter, you know, why did you doubt? All of the Old Testament is full of parts where Jesus, uh, sorry, the Messiah or God has control over the water. Think about this for a moment. Luke 5, 8, Jesus, the disciples been fishing all night, caught nothing. Jesus says, eh, cast, cast over that way. They're not gonna, it makes no sense to catch anything in the daytime. Two boats nearly sink. They catch so many fish. Peter is the one that says, Lord, I am a sinner. Go away from me. He realizes it's, it's God. Matthew 8, 14. Jesus is around Peter's house. His mother-in-law's ill. Peter clearly likes his mother-in-law. He asks for her to be healed. She's healed. He calms a storm in uh, Matthew eight twenty-three to 27. So they're going across uh, the lake and he's comp- already completely calmed the storm. And in Matthew 10, he's been sent out and he's been casting out demons and healing people in Jesus's authority. Given that that's kind of happened a couple of weeks before, it's okay for Jesus to kind of say, hey, hey, it, it, it's me. Like, look at all these things that we've done. The element that it's him, he's also saying he's God. The Lord is the ruler of the sea. You can see this in Psalm 77, 19. You can catch up on this uh, in your life groups. Job 9, 8. Isaiah 43, 16. Isaiah 51, verses 9 to 10. Habakkuk 3, 15. All throughout the Old Testament. Not only do we see uh, that God is a creator God, but he has complete control over the sea. And that's what he's doing. And then he gets into the boat, both of them, and then the wind calms down. They worship him. They go across the Gesennarat. Jesus has revealed that he is God yet again to his disciples. Here when it says, uh, uh, they said, truly you are the son of God. That is the only time they use that title in Matthew. It's saying, you are God. You are the anointed one. Jesus does a few more miracles. The applications for us. Spend time alone with God in prayer. It is essential as we face life's challenges. I prayed a lot more this week. Whenever you've got something big coming up, you're like, okay, well, I'm not going to kind of wing it myself. I'm going to ask God for help. If Jesus is praying to the Father, that's a wonderful example for us to follow. And it's not like, hey, give me a blank checkbook. Do you remember the prayer in Gethsemane? Jesus says, not my will be done, but yours. But it's this closeness of relationship. Praying with God is listening to him, speaking to him, being in communion with him. And as the more relational time we spend with him, the more our trust will go up. So is Jesus trustworthy? Yes, if he is God. And how do we walk by faith? It's really simple, it's step by step. It's just today. Whenever I do an exercise program, I will think I did I tried to do one last week. I'd read about streaking, not what you're thinking. Uh, it's how many days can you run a mile? And I thought, I'm going to do 100. Forgot about surgery. I managed two. But that, even without the surgery, that's typically what I do when it comes to any form of challenge. I'm going to fast. Let's do 40 days. Five minutes later, I'm eating Doritos. Um, but it's, it's just step by step when we walk by faith. Just Today going to focus on God. I'm going to focus on his love. I'm going to spend some time with him. Three elements. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. Three elements that we can focus on this week as our application. God's love as provider. I'm going to speak the God's love you blessing. God's love as protector. It's him who parts the Red Sea. In Aslan, Oh, sorry, in line the Witch Aslan is the one that rises. In Prince Caspian, he's the one who roars. It's this delicateness and yet this strength. He is the one, as we're singing along, you bring the head of my enemies. And he's also the one who is present now and forever. So sometime each day this week, really simple. Concentrate on God being a provider concentrate on him being protector and concentrate on his presence. One of the best ways to concentrate on his presence is to be with other believers. One thing you can do is called forest bathing. It's better than sunbathing. You go out into nature and you just accept geological time and it's much easier to connect with the creator. But another time is exactly what we did. Today, we put our hands on one another. We pray together. We sing together, we worship together, we talk together. So friends, this is the most true thing about you. God loves you more than you can ever imagine. He loves you with a love that has no beginning and no ending. so a love you cannot earn and which you could never lose. doesn't matter if you feel like a success or a failure, God loves you doesn't matter if you're righteous or guilty, God loves you. It doesn't matter if you're alone or surrounded by friends, God loves you. Friends, God loves you enough to send his son Jesus to live for you, to die for you, and to be raised from the dead for you. And even right now, as we're sat here in Franklin, Jesus is sat at the right hand of our heavenly father, speaking words of love, on your behalf. And he will come again to renew you and all of creation because he loves you. Friends, this is the most true thing about you. Before anything else can be said, this must be said. God loves you. And that will never change. Be at peace